Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. It's been great for the last four weeks to be able to have people share their stories and what happens in your whole life when, when you align your finances with, with what God says in Scripture. Because He knows how life is meant to be. And... Um, and when we bring every aspect of our lives into alignment with Him, um, life is just better overall. And um, this whole series has really been about not just about money, but about life, because um, it is one of the biggest aspects of our lives, and, and it becomes one of those things that can actually drive our lives. And that's why Jesus talked so much about it. He talked more about your finances and your possessions and materialism than any other thing because he knows that, that, that where, your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And whatever has your heart has you. And Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it, wrote about it to the uh, churches. And, and, and if Jesus talked about it and Paul talked about it, I certainly ought to be able to talk about it. And, and it's an important part of your whole discipleship growth uh, and your spiritual growth. And so that's why we've been taking the last four weeks about talking about this road to financial freedom. And in week one, we talked about the shift in our attitude, um, that we have, tend to have this attitude that if it comes to me, it belongs to me, and it's for me so I can spend it on me. And, and when we shift our attitude and realize it all comes from God and he has invested some of it in us and it's not just for us but for us to use for others, it changes our whole perspective. And one of the big, big parts of that we talked in week two about it's just getting out of debt. That when you are in debt, it is like being a slave. You are, you are in servitude to the lender who holds it over you and it, and it affects everything about your life. Um, and then last week, Pastor Larry did a great job talking about the choice that we can make, that we can choose to reverse the cycle. Instead of living in that cycle that is spend, go into debt, worry about it, no margin, spend, go into debt, worry about it, no margin, you know, that whole cycle that just gets worse and worse and worse, that you can actually reverse the cycle and it changes your life. And that you start with giving and then giving back to God, and then saving, giving back to yourself, and then learning to live on that 80%. And there is a freedom, there is just a a, a breath of fresh air that comes over you, and a peace that Josh and Vanessa talked about that you can't be described. And many of us in this room, we know that truth, and many of us, this is all brand new for us. And and, and I'm going to tell you, if you're here today, and you're new to church, and, um, you know, your whole thing is, oh, they're going to be talking about money. I'm just telling you, we're talking to Christians today. We're talking to people who are Christ followers um, because this is an important part of discipleship. But I will tell you that everything we've been talking about in the last four weeks is absolutely, bottom line, it's good for everybody. Um, and the series has been based on a, seri- on a book uh, written by Barry Cameron called The ABCs of Financial Freedom. This book is free. We've made it available to people. Um, it talks about his story and how he turned his whole debt, you know, worry cycle into a giving cycle and the change it made in his life. This book is free. Um, there's a workbook that goes with it. This one we're asking people, we're, paying, we're charging $5 for, um, but this has all the resources that you need to be able to go through the process of getting debt free and, and living um, with the principles of scripture. So today we're going to look at one last passage of scripture. We're going to be talking about this idea of a decision. 
Because all the information we've been talking about for the last three weeks, and by the way, if you missed any of that, pick up the podcast um, because it all kind of fits together. But today what we're going to do, all that information is really, really good, but it does you no good unless you make a decision about it. And so today we're going to be talking about making that decision that will absolutely transform not just your finances, it will transform your life. In fact, the passage we're going to look at today, Paul says it is taking hold of the life that is truly life. So it's actually from a letter that he wrote to a young protege pastor of his. Um, his name was Timothy. Um, he actually wrote two letters to Timothy that we have as a part of our Bible. This is his first, le- first letter. So if you want to turn to 1 Timothy in your Bible... Beginning in verse 6, this is what Paul told Timothy. This is what you need to teach your church. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that's the end goal in all of this, to be able to take hold of that life that is truly life, to really be able to live. And your finances are a big, big part of that. So how do you do that? All these things that we've been talking about for these last weeks, um, how do you do all of that? And I want to give you just two things that, that Paul says, two different commandments that he gives. And it's all about taking hold of that life. And it starts with this. You acknowledge God's generosity. But you do it with a sense of gratitude. That you recognize that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And you live with a sense of gratitude. Not just for a season. Not just for a week or a day called Thanksgiving. But you live with this sense of of gratitude. And, and the number one issue, I think, for all of us in our finances, I think the biggest issue is our attitude. And that's why we talked about it in week one. But it's shifting that attitude to realize it all comes from God and be grateful for all of that. This is what Paul wrote. Very first thing he starts off with, command, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, let me just stop right there because this is the key word, rich. Because I would venture to say most of us in this room don't think we are rich. We don't consider ourselves rich. We're like middle class, you know, maybe lower middle class, upper middle class, but we don't consider ourselves rich. And, and the truth of the matter is that most of us in this room live far more comfortably than our parents did. That we are far richer than we realize. And that most people in this world would love to have the rich people problems that we have. Because most of the things that we gripe about and that are problems for us, they're really rich people problems. In fact, I kind of put together a list. These are rich people problems. Bad cell phone coverage. That is a rich person's problem. Okay, if you complained about your cell company, that's a rich person's problem. Long lines at the grocery store is a rich person's problem. There are people in this world that would love to stand in a grocery line and have the access to the number of things that we have access to at the grocery store. Traffic jams, another rich people problem. Um, Realizing that they forgot your french fries when you pull away from the drive-up window. (laughs) That's a rich person's problem. Slow internet is a rich person's problem. The cable repairman not showing up between 9 and noon like he said he would. That's a rich person's problem. Um, 
having to replace your dishwasher slash microwave slash garbage disposal because your old one gave out. That's a rich person's problem. Having to replace your dishwasher slash microwave slash garbage disposal because the newer model has a, is quieter, has more features, and is more powerful than your old one. That is a rich person's problem. Most of the things that we gripe about, those, those things in our lives that just are irritations to us, those are mostly rich people problems. Because we are far richer than we realize. And if we don't consider ourselves rich, truly rich, then we will never be as grateful as we ought to be. And there is something about being rich that we don't want to acknowledge. And and there's something about having wealth and and having resources like you have when you live in a place like we live that, that, that does something to us. In fact, Paul goes on. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Oh, back. There it is. Rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now, let me stop right there because that's another one of those things. Every one of us in this room would say, well, I'm not arrogant. Don't be so sure. Because there is something about having money, having resources that changes you. Uh, a guy named Paul Piff. He's a um, professor, uh, a social psychologist um, uh, at UC Berkeley. And a number of years ago, they actually did a number of series of experiments and, and trials to try to figure out what does money do to people. One of the things that they did is they did a, a, a rigged monopoly game. They got volunteer students and they paired up over 100 pairs of students to, to play a game of monopoly. But what they did was they rigged the game. They, they tossed a coin and the winner of the coin toss, that person got, um, they got to start out with twice as much money as the other person. And then every time they passed go, they got twice the amount of the other person. So, and, and then the other thing they did is that that person got to roll two dice. The other person only got to roll one of the die. And so they got to land on more spaces. They got up more opportunities, had more money to buy more property. And here's what they found. They put uh, they, um, had uh, hidden cameras and they just observed. And over 15 minutes into the game, they began to notice a change in the one that had all the advantages. One of the changes is they started to move their piece around the board with much more authority. Thump, 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 thump. And then as they were able to buy hotels and the other person would land on the hotel, they would get, yes, you owe me money, you know, and they would buy more. And as as the game went on, they got ruder, they got more boastful, and they began to be a little bit more authority, while the other person just kind of shrank back, back, and back. And when they won, when they won the game, they interviewed them afterwards, and they asked the winner of the game, to what do you attribute your success? And they said, my skill at playing the game of Monopoly. (laughs) None none of them recognized the fact that they were actually given an advantage through the whole thing. And that's what we found. And they did another experiment. Here's another one they did. They actually had someone, um, they they put someone at a crosswalk. By the way, do you know there's a California law that if someone's in the crosswalk, you're supposed to stop? Yeah, just so you, for those of you who didn't know that, or even if they're standing on the curb at a crosswalk, you're supposed to stop, okay? That's the law. I know some of you don't know that, but that's the truth. Here's what they did. They posed someone coming up to the crosswalk, stopping at the curb, and they just observed, again, hidden cameras. What they found was that people who drove less expensive cars stopped every time. What they found was people who drove more expensive cars stopped 
50% of the time drove right on through the intersection and didn't stop for the pedestrian. And the biggest offenders were owners of BMWs. Now, if you're an owner of a BMW, I'm just going to say, I know it wasn't you. And, and I also know that it was probably really a Mercedes. They just thought it was BMW, okay? <laughs> but what they found is that, that people who have more resources, people who have more opportunities because of those resources, that very subtly an attitude begins to set in of entitlement. And, and, and a little bit of arrogance begins to set in. And that's why Paul wrote this. He says, um, the, the rich people, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap because you don't even realize it's happening. It just slowly, slowly settles in. And all of a sudden, there's a change in our attitude. That's nothing new, by the way. It was true in our day. It's true, it was true in Paul's day. It goes all the way back to Moses' day. This is a human problem. It is a human nature problem. When Moses was about to, brought the nation of Israel up to entering into the land of promise, that God gave Moses these words to give to the people. And this is what he said to them. He said, when you enter the land, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. By the way, does that sound at all familiar to, with the week one, the bigger Barnes guy? My power, my hands produce wealth for me. But remember the Lord, he says, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, our attitude tends to be, well, I earn this. I work hard for this. It comes to me. It belongs to me. I get to keep it for me. But even something deeper goes on. What happens over time is that the more that we gather, the more that we accumulate, the more that we make, a very subtle shift happens in the transfer of our trust and our hope. That, that if we don't have much, we rely on God much more, and our hope and our trust is on God. But what subtly happens is, as I gain more and I accumulate more and I make more, my trust tends to shift to my security in my wealth. And as that shift takes place, my fist starts to close. Because if this is my security and this is my hope, then I got to hold on to it tight. And statistically, we have found, um, as studies have been done, that statistically, people who make more money, higher income people give less as a percentage of their income than those who don't make as much. It's a proven fact. And that's why he says, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, because that's the transfer that happens, which is so uncertain, because that security that you're holding on to that you don't want to let go will never provide you the security that you really need. And so he goes on. He says, so command them instead to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That God will provide all that we need. And not meagerly, but richly. Richly provides for us everything. And not just the bare minimum, but everything for our enjoyment. That that's how God cares for us. As long as we continue to keep our trust here, we will live with that peace of mind. 
If our trust transfers over here, we will constantly worry, we will constantly fret, we will constantly be in arguments over it because we put our trust in the wrong place. By the way, I believe that most of the trouble we get ourselves into with regard to debt has to do with this one thing. We don't believe God is providing richly enough for us. And we don't say it out loud, but in essence, when we keep using the credit card and keep growing on this debt, what we in essence are saying is, God, I don't think you're providing richly enough for me, so I'm going to take care of this part by, by myself. And we get ourselves into trouble with it. So he says, no, recognize that God is the giver of every good gift, that he gives richly for your enjoyment and be grateful. But there's something more. He says, now use God's generosity for his eternal purposes. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I live where I live? Why do I have all that I have? Do you know that um, recently the San Francisco Bay Area, it's always been in the top 10, but the greater San Francisco metro area has now moved to number one in terms of household income. And that's not counting Silicon Valley. That, that we live in the wealthiest part of arguably the wealthiest country in the world. We are that rich. Have you ever asked yourself, why? How did I end up? Why did I end up being born here and not in some other part of the world, in some third world country? Why have I been so blessed? Well, Paul says there is a reason. There is a very good reason for it. It has to do with this moving towards generosity. It says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Why did God bless you so richly? Why does God care for you so richly? Why do you have all that you have? Not so that you would spend it on yourselves, but that you would do good. You would be rich in good deeds and generous, willing to share. See, it's not just that we would be grateful, but it's that we would be grateful and generous. That God gives us this opportunity. He really invites us to be a part of the work that He is doing in this world. And he resources us for that so that we can resource God's work in this world and we can actually be a part of what he's doing. If you think about it, life is one big monopoly game, but we're playing it all wrong. We are playing the game of life as if it's a monopoly game and the winner is who has the most at the end. But that's not the game that God wants us to be playing. The game should be how much can we give away in this lifetime? Because the truth of the matter is, like the title of the book John Ortberg wrote, when the game of life is over, it all goes back in the box. None of us gets to take any of that monopoly money with us. And all of those hotels and houses on all that property, it was just a game. And so he says, invest it in eternity. Because what happens is that when you begin to let go of some of it, when you begin to let go and and hold it loosely and become more generous, your life begins to change. And what you do is you start making an investment 
in eternity. He says, be good, be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. In other words, live with a sense of eternity in every aspect of your life, including your finances. Because ultimately, that's where it all ends up. And the biggest investment you can make for eternity is in the lives of people. In the work of God in the lives of people. And God, knowing human nature, way back in Moses' time, established a a, a pattern for us so that we would learn to hold loosely and so that we would learn to trust Him. And it's something called the tithe, which literally means a tenth part or 10%. And what God established... All the way back in the nation of Israel, at the very, very beginning of the nation, he said just simply this, whatever comes in, a tenth of that you give back to the work of God. Whatever comes in in terms of the harvest, then a tenth of that goes back to the work of God. Whatever you earn goes back, a tenth of it, back to the temple. He said, because because what I'm teaching you is learning how to trust me. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's the Old Testament, and that's the law, and And um, we're not under the law. Now we're under grace. So that really doesn't apply now, which means you've missed the whole point. Because the whole point of the tithe is this. It's in Deuteronomy 14.23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you. To teach you to always put God first in your life. In other words, this this drift that tends to happen, this transfer that tends to happen of of your security to your wealth, when you give some of that back, 10% of that back, When you start holding it loosely, it puts your trust back where it belongs. And it helps people, and it helps the kingdom of God, and it makes you more generous. And it's really about teaching you. That's the whole point of it. And so that's why we teach about tithing here. That's why we take time every year to do this series about handling your finances. Because every year, I have to to reexamine my finances every year. Because every year, your finances change. You get a raise, or you lose a job, or whatever might happen. Other income comes in, or life situation changes. Every year, you need to sit down and evaluate again. Okay, where are my finances? What am I doing with them? What changes do I need to make? And God said it starts with this idea. And Pastor Larry talked about it last week. When you start that give, save, live way of living, it reverses the cycle and makes you move towards generosity. So you start with that 10%. Gives back to God. Then 10%, you pay yourself. Give to yourself. Save it. And then live on that 80% with that margin, with that breathing room, with that peace of mind. See, God's desire more than anything else is for us to live generous lives. Not just do the bare minimum, but to actually learn generosity because he is generous and he is molding us into the shape of his character. And so that's why we talk about this. And we've done this for the last five years now. And every time we give people an opportunity to do this, and every time people who take this this step of faith, they find that God actually does bless them, that God makes up for more than they thought they would lose. And that God is faithful if we will be faithful to him. And that's what Jesus was talking about. It's the very same thing. That where your treasure is, sort for, your, for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's what he wants more than anything else. He wants your heart. 
And I said, there's been a lot of studies been done um, in the last number of years about generosity and giving and living a generous life. And one of them, there's actually a book been written called The Paradox of Generosity. Um, And it's written by a guy named Christian Smith. He's a social psychologist, Notre Dame University. And they actually took over 2,000 respondents, had them do a a survey, a questionnaire, and then they did in-depth interviews afterwards and, and just wanted to see, okay, what difference does it make in people's lives when they start living generous lives? And the book is kind of the upshot of all that they learned. But he puts, what they found was, what they found was is living a generous life actually improves your quality of life across the board, relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Every aspect of your life gets better when you live a generous life. And this is the upshot. This is what he writes at the end of the book. That those who give receive back in return. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. In letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves are moving towards flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. The generosity paradox can also be stated in the negative. By grasping onto what we currently have, tight fist, we lose out on better goods that we might have gained. In holding onto what we possess, we diminish its long-term value to us. By always protecting ourselves against the future uncertainties and misfortunes, We are affected in ways that make us more anxious about the uncertainties and vulnerable to future misfortunes. In short, by failing to care for others, we do not properly take care of ourselves. He writes this, It is no coincidence that the word miser is etymologically related to the word miserable. It turns out that money does buy happiness, but not when you spend it on yourself. But when you spend it on others, when you give it away, your life is better. And that's what Paul was talking about. That's what he meant when he said, take hold of the life that is truly life. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, I do want to be clear. And each week we've said this. We want to be clear. This is not about buying your way into heaven. This is not about paying your way with God. That, that, that gift has been given to us freely. Big Christ on the cross paid the ultimate price for your sin and for mine, for your failures and mine, your mistakes and mine. That price has been paid and paid in full. And what he offers to us is a new life. And as we learn to follow him and trust him, that life gets better and better. And maybe you're here today. And you've never taken a first step of faith. I want you to know that God loves you. That you don't have to earn your way with Him at all. He already loves you. And He paid that price on the cross so that you could know that forgiveness and that freedom and that new life. And every week, I want to give people an opportunity to respond to that. So this is maybe has nothing to do with what we talked about today, but you just know that you've been living your life for yourself in self-indulgence and self-interest, and you realize it's not working. And there needs to be a change take place. You can make that change today. You can make a decision today to just put your life in His hands. And it's a very simple prayer. It's just admitting, God, I can't do this on my own. I have messed up. 
I have done it my own way, and I need your forgiveness. I want to put my life in your hands. I need your grace and your forgiveness. And if that's you today, and it's, it's not about money, it's just about getting right with God, but you're willing to take that very first step of faith, that God's been speaking to you about this, and it's time for you to decide in His direction. I'm going to ask you to do something real simple, because I want to lead you in a prayer as we close. But if you would just raise your hand, and as you do, also look up and catch my eye, because I want to acknowledge you and pray with you and lead you in this prayer as we close. So would you just raise your hand, hold it up high enough for me to see? Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. See, this is a very simple prayer, and I'm going to invite you to join me in this. Lord, you know me. You know my struggles, my failures, my faults. And I know this isn't about buying my way into heaven. This is your grace extended to me. I need your forgiveness. Here's my faults. Here's my sin. I lift it all up to you. Would you, by your grace, forgive me? Set me right with you. Today, I am putting my life in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.